Hope you guys are doing all right this morning. Listen, we just wanted to take a few minutes to uh, highlight uh, this opportunity we're going to be doing this winter. Um, uh, so instead of having the sermon bumper video, we wanted to show this PowerPoint. Um, listen, this is something our church believes in a lot, and it's just that we believe that Christ called us uh, to reach out in the community and be the, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's one thing if you walked in, if you notice our wall, um, it, it's a scripture, and Christ basically says in Matthew 25, you know, he says, I want you to understand that there are two types of people in this world. There are people, he calls them to the right people and people to the left. He goes, the people that I'm going to call to the right are people that step outside of themselves and help the poor and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, and house the homeless. And it's just a very powerful, uh, Christ-centered view that we've adopted as a church. And this is something that we believe in, and we do a lot more than I think most people think. If this is, if you've only been coming to Harvest Cove for a few weeks or maybe even a few months, um, we we don't do a great job of talking about how many different things we're involved in. Um, but we we have several different ministries where we we feed impoverished kids in the local schools. We we connect with a couple different ministries, including East Lincoln um, Christian Ministries. We've got several people helping different soup kitchens and the corner kitchen, and and we've got all kinds of volunteers doing all kinds of different things. And 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 one thing that we want you to do or we want you to know is we want you to be a part of this community outreach here at Harvest Cove. And this winter, um, there is something new that we are starting. And this is not, this is not, hey, let's go Friday night and, and go to the soup kitchen or, and help out. Or this isn't, this isn't, you know, let's just go for a Friday morning and get the youth together and we'll go hand out some food at the East Lincoln Christian Ministries. Those things are great and those things are good. But this is a very large church commitment that we are making uh, to the homeless people in and around our community. Uh, we're partnering with a, a large group in Charlotte, and the, what that process will look like is we will leave here um, during the winter months, and we're, we've already partnered with another church. We're taking their church vans. We're driving to Charlotte. We're picking up homeless people um, who have already been vetted and, and sent through the system in this organization. We're taking them back here, and we'll house them, and we'll wash their clothes, and we'll feed them a warm meal, um, and hoping and praying we could be able to partner with somebody to get them to take a hot shower and to get clean and to be safe throughout the night. Um, it's something that we that has been laid on Denise Elliott's heart. She's the one that's been driving this for over eight months. She's been planning this like crazy. It's something that the church has bought into. And here's the deal. This is not something that Denise can do by herself. And this is not something that I can do by myself. And this is not something the same people who always step out and do something can't handle by themselves. This is something where we need a lot of church participation. This is an opportunity for you to stop saying you're a Christian and actually start being a Christian. All right? This is an opportunity to step outside of your comfort zone, to step outside, sacrifice one Friday night through the whole winter. All right, we're, not, we're, we're stepping in this first year. We're not going to do too many nights. We're going to do some, and we need several different families each night to be here and some men you know, to help with things and some women to help with things and kind of go through this process. And this is just a beautiful opportunity for us to shine the light of the gospel in a very, very, very unique way. And so I don't want you to, you know, there's always these type of people. There's always those people like me who hear something cool, and they're immediately like, yeah, let's do it right now. Sign me up for every single night of the whole time. And then you really can't do that. Don't, don't be that sporadic, okay? Take some Adderall and chill out. Then there's those other people, all right, who immediately are like, I'm busy the whole winter. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. I'm pretty sure I've got some plans. Um, I'm pretty sure I've got some plans. I'll, what night are you doing that? Yeah, I'm busy that night. We're going to be frolicking about in the cold. So listen, here's the deal. I want you to spend some time praying about this. I want you to get some information um, from Denise, and I, I want you to seriously consider and giving up. This is all I'm asking. I know this is a huge sacrifice. Not really at all. 
I'm asking you for every single family, every single group to say, I will give up one to two nights through the course of the winter months to spend the night here and help take care of these homeless people and do what Christ instructed us. That's, that's what we're asking of every single person in this church. Now, here's the deal. If every, there's not even enough room for everybody to do it. That's the beautiful thing. And so if you just say, get together with your family and say, listen, we'll give up one of our nights to come do this. And if everybody participates, we will be able to help so many people through the winter months and be able to share the gospel to so many different people. And it would be an absolutely amazing and beautiful thing. And so we're going to talk about this for a little bit over the next few weeks to get prepared prepared for it. Um, we're going out. We're getting some beds. We're financially investing in this thing. Um, and it's just an awesome opportunity, a unique opportunity to do this. And so I want you to know we want you to be a part of it. Um, and we want you to pray about it. Um, and we want you to jump in with both, uh, both feet and, and be a part of this thing because it's going to be a really, really cool thing. There's starting to be info out back, out in the lobby. Um, and so I just I want you to do it. Listen, this is a challenge for our church together to unite together. We've got a, got a couple hundred people hanging out with us these days, and it's about time we step outside and we start doing something in the name of Jesus. So I just want to thank you guys already just for the prayer that you'll give this and just for the time that you will sacrifice for this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We are in our third message of our series, Fallout. Um, as you flip there, I'm just going to pray real fast um, for us. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, so much just for the opportunity we have to come here on this Sunday. God, I know, Lord, uh, as we go through this message, God, that there, th this is one of those messages, Father, that, that could easily leave people um, emotionally um, jolted. Father God, I pray, Lord, as we go through uh, this, this message today, as we go through the sermon that you've placed in my heart, Father God, as we go through your word, Lord, I pray that you would just let your spirit and your presence be in this house. God, There is we are absolutely nothing without your word, God. We are absolutely nothing without your spirit, nothing without your presence, God. And I pray, Lord, right now that you will empty me completely out, God, that you would just set my flesh aside, Father, and just fill me with your spirit, God, and just speak through me, God. And I pray, Lord, that every single person in this room this morning, Lord God, and even people that, that didn't make it this morning that maybe listen online, Lord God, or listen later, I pray, God, that you would just let your spirit speak to them, God. I pray, Father, that you would just uh, let this message uh, open up the door, Father God, to a brighter future um, in the area that we're talking about this morning, your holy and your precious name. Amen. This is the third message in our series called Fallout. And this series is all about friendships and relationships and community and, and the fallout or the long-term negative consequences that can come from bad friendship decisions and bad relationship decisions or the, uh, a bad choice of community or, or people we choose to do life with, you know, or maybe just a lack of community in general. Um, and, and most of the sermons are going to be pretty broad. They're going to be about relationships and friendships and different things like that. All right, but this this uh, week is going to be very specific, and, and, I, and I, I always, I'm always afraid to preach messages like this, specific messages just to specific people, because I'm afraid that everybody else will just kind of zone out, especially the young people when they hear the topic, they're just going to kind of zone out, and they're going to think, well, that's not me, and, and there's going to be other people that are going to think, that's not me, and, and what I want you to know is, is that I believe that this is for everybody, and today we're going to talk about one of the most powerful relationships that God gives us in this Earth. It's one of the outside of salvation itself and outside of a relationship with Christ. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And it's one of the most powerful relationships um, that we have in this life. Now, here's the deal. This is for all the married people and this is for all the people who want to be married, which should be just about everybody. 
and I want you to listen. Listen, I want you to pay attention, and I want the young people and the, and the singles and the people that marriage isn't even on your radar. I want you to understand at some point marriage will be on your radar. And I want you to know that God has a very specific design for marriage uh, that is very beautiful and it is amazing. And there's some things we're going to talk about today that you can already start to put in practice now, even in your friendships and even in your dating relationships and, and, and in your engagements. And it's just one of those things where I don't want the young people, I don't want the singles to just tune me out because this is incredibly important and powerful for you too. And so just just listen and pay attention. I always And I always... I always uh, uh, prequel when I, when I preach about things like children and marriage and parenting, because there's a large portion of you right now, as soon as I said marriage, you said, I'm not listening to this idiot. What is he, four? How long has he been married? All right, we've had marriage problems longer than he's even been married. What is he even talking about? Listen, you're right. Listen, I've not been married that long, but I'm going to tell you what I'm called to do in this life, and that is to preach the word of God. All right, and the word of God is very specific and, and gives a lot of awesome things when it comes to relationships and marriage. And that's all I'm doing today is I'm preaching to you the word of God. And so this isn't, this isn't the wisdom of Jordan because I don't have that much. Ask anybody that knows me. This isn't the super intelligence. I didn't, I didn't sit down and come up with all this is, this is God. This is the word of God. And I believe with all my heart when the word of God is preached that it gives life to people. And I believe that there's some people in this room this morning, you need life in your marriage. All right, you need a spark in your marriage. All right, and that's what I'm believing and I'm hoping and, and the leaders have been praying for um, throughout the course of this day. So listen, here's the foundation of this series right here is that who you choose to do life with directly affects who you become, the direction you go, and the things that you accomplish. Now listen, when you are married, you've already chosen who you're going to do life with. And this is a message about protecting who you've chosen to do life with. With Jesus Christ was a pretty smart guy, and one of the things um, that he said, and, it, and what makes this statement that we're about to get into so unique, is that he made this statement right before he died. He made this statement right, it was right after the Last Supper, it was one of the last times that he was teaching his disciples, and that right after he makes this statement, he's going to leave, he's going to go downstairs, he's going to walk out, he's going to find himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, then he's going to get arrested, he's going to get tried, and he's going to get killed, all in a matter of 24 hours. All right, so this is one of the last things, and he knows this is coming. He's warning the disciples over and over and over again, this is about to happen. And this is the last thing that he said. This is what he says, I've got a new commandment. Some people say that it'll be a translation of I've got an amazing commandment or I've got the greatest commandment, but he says, I've got a new commandment. And this is what he says to the people. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is what Christ, this is one of the last things that Christ says to his people, and he leaves this world with this statement right here. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is true in all relationships, in all friendships, and in all, within the church community, but this is absolutely 100% especially true within our marriage relationships. Now, I want you to notice there's two things. The one thing, it's not going to be up there. The one thing that is the most important thing that we will talk about through the course of this message is that Christ says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. His first thing is he says, I want you to understand that your standard of love cannot be the standard standard of the culture. Right? Your standard of love and how far love goes cannot be how far Dr. Phil says it can go and not be how far 
Oprah says it can go and not be how far secular psychologists can say it can go and not how far doctors say it goes and not how far MTV says it goes and not how far the world says it go and your parents says it go and the neighbors says it go. He says, I want you to understand that the standard of your love, this agape, this deepest true love, he says the standard of the way that you love one another, the standard of the way that you love comes back to the way that I loved you. He says, you don't need to learn how to love and see. The problem when you start talking about marriage and you start talking about love and you start talking about these different things is a lot of us come from a lot of different places. A lot of us were raised very differently. A lot of us have a lot of different backgrounds. And see, a lot of the ways that you've learned to love over the years is the way that your parents loved each other, which wasn't always great. It wasn't always awesome. All right, in my generation, the statistics say that 52% of all marriages ended in divorce. That means that 52% of my generation did not see love acted out very well. Does that make sense? All right, so we are literally raised, all right, in a culture that doesn't know how to love that well. And Jesus says, I want you to learn how to love the way that I loved, not learn how to love the way that you were raised to love or or the way that someone loved you. I want you to relearn love. I want you to love people the way that I love people. I want you to love your wife. I want you to love your husband the way that I loved you, not the way that you saw your parents love each other, not the way that you saw the culture love each other, but the way that you see me love you. That's the new standard for love. All right, that's the new standard for love. That's how you love. The second thing, and this is equally as important, is when you talk to a lot of people, how do they define love? I hear people all the time say, you know, I'm in love with her. I'm in love. We fell in love with each other. Cupid shot me with an arrow, and I fell in love. That's junk. Absolute junk. You know why? Do you know why that's junk? Because if you can fall in love randomly, guess what? You can fall out of love randomly. All right? Love is not a noun. All right, love is a verb, and that's what Jesus turned love into right here. He says, he went, that word right there, he, agape, agapeon, Greek, and I know that sounds more French than Greek. That's because I don't know how to speak Greek, all right? But he said, love is a verb. He didn't say, find someone that you fall in love with, and then as long as you're in love with them, love. That's not what he said. He said, listen to me. I want you to love. I want you to actively love one another the way that I have actively loved you. So this is something that we don't really understand much in this culture. One, because we're very self-centered. We're very selfish people just as a whole. Do you know the day that I realized that I was one of the most selfish people in the universe? The day after I said I do. Because when you get married and you start getting into a relationship and, and, and there's no more yours and there's no more mine and it is ours, you realize in that moment if you have half an honest bone in your body, I'm a pretty selfish individual. I'm pretty self-centered. I'm, it's pretty much been all about me most of these years. And now all of a sudden things have to change. And Jesus says, I want you to understand that love is not a noun. Love is not something that chooses you. And this is the most important thing you may hear all day. Love is not something that chooses you. There's not, there's not a little scary little villain with wings with an arrow and shooting you in the butt and then you falling in love. Okay, that's, that's a myth. That's not realistic. You will love something. You will actively love something. You choose what you love. See, there's a lot of people and they say, you know what, why the marriage? And well, we just we just didn't love each other. And we just we fell out of love. We just weren't, we were in love, and then all of a sudden we weren't in love. No, you chose to love something else. 
You chose to actively pick your love up and transfer it to something else. Maybe it was your career. Maybe it was your job. Maybe it was a hobby. Maybe it was another individual. But that's what you chose to do. You didn't fall out of love. You stopped actively loving someone. You moved your love to someone else. A lot of time it's just because we never learn how to stop actively loving ourselves. And we never actually stop. And when we start to pour out this thing called love to somebody else, we never really realize that we see them as an object just to make us happy. We see them as an object just to make our life correct. We see them as an object just to partner with us, and we never actually pour our love out to them. Love is this active, living thing, and you can choose who it is or what it is that you choose to love. Love is not something that you fall into. Love is not something that you fall out of. Love is something you transfer, that you have in you, that you place on an individual, and it is up to you and you alone who you choose to love. All right, now I know we don't, there's a lot of people who don't want to hear that, and I don't want to disagree with that, but this is the words of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to actively love All right, as I have loved you. Paul picks up this same thought process. I'm going to go through this really quick because I'm going to get down to the meat of it. Paul picks up this same process in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, All right, and he starts off with this right here. Go back one. Go back another one. I don't know how you jumped that far. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, that's how he's about to start this whole idea of marriage. He says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you have Jesus that says, I want you to actively love the way that I love you. And Paul says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of respect for Christ. I want you to submit yourself to one another. Now, this is what submit means. This is all this means, and it's going to get to one of the most controversial scriptures in the Bible, and we're going to... And we're going to go past it. But all, all submit means is to place yourself under someone else. That's all submit means. And he says, I want you to understand, husband. I want you to understand, wife. I want you and you need to submit yourselves one to another out of respect for Jesus Christ. Place your wants, place your needs, place your desires for this life under that of the person that you are in love with under that of the person that you are actively loving. Wife, I want you to submit yourself, place yourself under right, the one that you love. And husbands, I want you to place yourself under the ones that you love. You ever hear those really annoying couples that love each other? They get on the phone with each other, and where do you want to go to? Anywhere you want, babe? No, anywhere you want, babe. No, anywhere you want. Shut up, we're going to Japan, okay? Click. All right, those people that just, you know what? No, what do you want to do for vacation? I'm going to go anywhere you want to go, babe, whatever you want. No, I'm going to go where, the reason you're thinking to bed, no, I don't know anybody like that. Because it's difficult. This is one of the most rare relationships we see is people that truly live this out. That truly, every day, every week, every month, the person that they have chose to actively love, where they place themselves under them, this act of, some people call it mutual submission, this act of, I love you, and I respect you, and I'm going to submit myself under you, and your wants, and your needs, and what you think is more important, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to go after you, and I'm going to take care of you, and it's going to be about you. And then the other person says the same thing. No, it's about you. It's about what you want. It's about what you need. Your dreams are, 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 are more important than mine. Your vision for life is more important than mine. And, and I'm going to mutually, we're going to get, and this is this beautiful, circular, 
seemingly unrealistic marriage. I haven't mastered that yet. You know what? I just want you to know something. Courtney asked me to clean the garage. Jordan, can you clean the garage? You know what I did? I did that. I cleaned the garage yesterday. She asked me four and a half months ago, but I did it <laughs> yesterday. You know what I mean? Because, we, I mean, it's so difficult. It is so hard. And as I'm going through this message, I'm just like, God, anything but this. Let me preach anything but your word this morning. All right? Because this is, I'm telling you, one of the most selfish people on the planet. And I, I realize it more and more and more and more. You know, my career is more important. You know, my, my job's more important than yours is. You know, I've got a shot to actually be successful, and you don't. Not in our marriage, but I mean in y'all's. You know what I mean? You know, I, let's just, you know, I, I know you really, I know that it doesn't make any financial sense to buy this ginormous house that we don't need, but I just want the front porch with the, with the things, and this is what I want. And so, you know what I mean? This isn't girl or guy. This is, I mean, it just goes both ways. I, I, I know, I, I know that, that, that this is what you think and that this is what you want, but this is what I think and this is what I want, and, and, and it just creates this. Now you just have this relationship where it's just a, it's a constant tug and pull. And Christ says, I want you to actively love the way that I have loved you. And Paul goes the next step and he goes, I want you to submit to one another out of respect for Christ. I want you to place your wants and your desires and your needs under the other one. And then he goes on specifically to address a few things. And we're just going to go through this really fast. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Keep going. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now, I, I, I want to stop. I'm going to go back just for a second. All right, I know that this is one of the most, I want you to understand something. This is the way, this is this idea, because Paul starts it off with submit one to another. All right, I want both of you out of respect for Christ to submit one to another. All right, to place them under, to place your needs, your wants under them. And then he starts off. And now, there's something I want you to understand about this and why Paul goes this direction. He says, wives, I want you to understand that you are to submit to the husband. The husband is the head as Christ is the head of the church. Now, I want to speak to the husbands really fast, just for a second. I want you to understand that this does not mean that you are the master. I want you to understand. I don't want you to take this out of context and ruin the word of God and boss your wife around your whole life and say, well, I'm the head of the church, okay? I'm the head of the family like Christ is the head of the church. That's not what this means. You aren't the master. You aren't the dictator. You aren't the, the, the slave owner, okay? You are no better. You are no smarter. You are no greater right, than your wife. Okay? I know you think you're smarter. I know you think you're greater. I know you think you've got it more under control. I know you think she's dumb. I know you think she's stupid. I know you think she's worthless, All right, but she's not. She's a beautiful daughter of God. All right? And this does not mean in any way, shape, or form that you are over her, you are better than her, or you are in control of her. All right? That's not what this means. It means that you are the leader of the family. All right? It means that you are the head of the family. It means that you are the most responsible one for the marriage. It means that God will, God will move in your life, and the way that he will move in your life, should move in your life, is that you will be the spiritual head of the house. 
See, what tries to happen is you decide not to be the spiritual head of the house and just be the master of the house. And then when she says anything, you just say, well, I'm the head of the house and you need to come under me and we need to go whatever direction I'm going. Well, here's the thing. God's called you to be the spiritual head of the house, not the master of the house. They're two different things. You understand that, right? This is something that irritates me, if you can tell. All right? Paul says this because of what he's about to say next. Because he wants them to know that this is the way that you will mutually submit to one another. This is the way that life will be. This is the way that you will be the spiritual leader of the household that you will lead and the wife will come under and then you will go as one team in one flesh. I mean, he makes this statement right here. This is huge. This is what you don't understand because we don't understand the culture of the day. He says, husbands, now love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, he had to clarify the first because do you understand that in this day and age, women meant about nothing. You get that, right? Like there was like cattle, like homes, and somewhere between cattles and real estate were women, right? You understand that, right? Women, I, I, I get the whole women rights thing in the movie. Women vote, women. Listen, you only have the ability to speak out loud in front of a man because Christ was the first one to show up on the scene to say that you mattered. I get tired of all these feminist movements that want to wage this war on religion when Christ, the Christian values, was the first and one of the only, even to this very day, that says raise up the woman equal with the man because she is a child and a daughter of God. Does that make sense? And the reason he has to say the whole head of the house thing is because this right here is not going to make sense to a lot of the guys. Because what he is saying is, I need you to love your wives more than your cattle. I need you to love your wives more than your real estate. I need you to love your wives and your children for that matter more than your horses and your mules and your oxen. And he goes on to say, husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without strain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So he says, this is how you will love. You will love her like you love yourself. You will love her as Christ loves the church. You will take care of her and you will feed her and you will house her. She is the greatest thing in your life and you will love her and take care of her just like you take care of herself. So when it comes time to make decisions and when it comes time to, to you know, make the call and to and disperse the money and to disperse the future and all of these different things, she matters just as much as you do. This is huge in this culture. I know it doesn't mean that much because we're spoiled in this country. We think that everything is just like... We literally, our marriages are the way they are because we instilled Christian values early on in this country. I know we're not doing that very great anymore, but early on, we were a Christian nation, all right, and we believe these things. And so over time, women mattered. Over time, husbands loved their wives like they loved themselves, but this was not something that was, that was just understood, and this was something that was very, 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 very new. So I want you to understand the diagram. This doesn't mean that uh, wives shouldn't love their husbands, Right? He just has addressed the husbands. Well, I don't have to love my husband. It didn't tell me to do that. So he can love me and take care of me? No. He's just specifically talking about two things that this culture had major issues with. And he goes on to this. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his flesh, and the two will become one flesh. Keep going. This is a profound mystery, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So he says, I want you to understand something about marriage. He takes this from God's own words in Genesis. And he says, I want you to understand when you actively choose to love someone and you engage in marriage, all right, it is two flesh becoming one. You become one united team under God, under Christ. And he says, it's a profound mystery, marriage is, but I'm telling you, it refers to Christ and the church. And then he sums it all up with this right here. He says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right, so this is where, when you, if you cram Christ's words about love and Paul's words about marriage, where he picked up where Christ left off, and you put them together, this is what Christ, this is what Scripture says marriage should look like in your home and in your life right here. Actively love each other as Christ loves the church and serve one another out of respect for Christ. Actively love each other as Christ loves the church and serve one another out of respect for Christ. This is a powerful paradigm of marriage. We can see there's a lot of people right now in this room, if you're honest with yourself, your marriage doesn't really reflect this. Actively love each other. I heard a man say one time, if you make love a verb, then you'll make love more. I don't know exactly what that means. Except that if you actively love each other, you will experience the fullness of love more than you ever have before. And then that other thing y'all thought I was talking about too. <laughs> See, there's a lot of us, we just kind of want love to happen to us. Right? We just kind of just want love to happen to us. We just want things to be, why in our marriage like theirs? Why in our marriage like this? Why in our, and, just kinda, and what Christ is saying and what Paul is saying is it takes work. It takes work. There's nothing in this life worth having that doesn't take work to obtain. Christ says, actively love each other as Christ loves the church and serve one another out of respect for Christ. Now, I want to go through four phases of marriage, four stages of marriage. It's something I've been studying for a long time, and this is a powerful little part of this message. And I want you to be honest with yourself. This is the thing. This is the part of the message where you're not going to have to raise your hand. Or you're not going to have to identify yourself, but I want you to be honest with yourself about your marriage and about your deep-seated relationships, and I want you to tell yourself and be honest with yourself where you're at in your marriage. Number one, this is the Christ view of marriage. One team, two flesh become one. One team united in Christ, doing life together by actively loving and serving one another. This is a marriage where Christ is truly the foundation of the marriage. All right, Finances aren't the foundation of the marriage. Sex isn't the foundation of the marriage. Kids aren't the foundation of the marriage. Careers, success, whatever is not the foundation of the marriage. It's not an alliance created in order to go farther in life. This is a marriage where two people have become one, united and founded in Jesus Christ, where they are 
actively loving and serving one another. They're doing life together. Life is good. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but life is good. Doesn't mean that things just fly by, but life is good. And there is happiness and there is joy in the marriage as they actively love one another and serve one another. And it is just a great, beautiful, amazing thing. This is the type of marriage that, that God instilled or God meant for it to be. When it said that, that Adam was alone and he was in despair and, and that he sent the helper Eve there and that there was just this joy, this, this, this hole that was in Adam's heart, Eve filled it. God said, this is that gift. This is that gift that I want for my people. I want them to be able to have this type of marriage where there is just filled with, with love and goodness and joy and hope. Right, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but that's not always how our marriages feel and are. And so kind of another phase of marriage is this right here. Two people coexisting. Attempting to live independent lifestyles in a respectful and tolerant way. This is, a, this, is too, this is a relationship. This is a marriage where Christ is no longer the foundation of the relationship. There is kind of a division, but you're still respectful to one another. You may be starting to think about life. Well, what if I wasn't married to this person? What if I was married to another person? What would life look like? You know, he's kind of chasing his career. You're kind of, she's kind of chasing her career. You know, they're kind of doing different things. They've kind of got different directions. They've kind of got different paths, but they're financially connected. They live in the same house. They're just simply coexisting. They're just kind of partners in life. They're just going through. There's, there's not really a concern for what God wants in their life. There's not really a concern for what God wants to accomplish in their life. There's not really a concern. Uh, you know, Scripture's not really a part of your marriage. Prayer's not really a part of your marriage. It's just, it's just kind of the way that it is. You may go to church. You may not go to church. It's just two people simply coexisting. They're, they're, they're strategically connected through finances and real estate, and, and it's just basically a very, very, very glorified business agreement that sex is involved in. All right, listen, again, the statistics are extremely high. Well, over 50% of marriages end in divorce, and several experts say that all marriages will go through each one of these phases before they finally get to the divorce. And so that stands to reason that there is a good percentage of people, maybe this is the way your marriage is right now. God is not really involved in your marriage. Scripture is not really involved in your marriage. Prayer, pray for each other. What is that even like? What does that even mean? Uh, me, pray for my wife. My wife, pray for me. Us, pray together with our family. Does that actually, is that a real thing? Do people actually do that? I thought we just kind of prayed at church. I do my thing. She does her thing. We sleep in the same bed maybe. But life goes on. This is just called coexisting. The stats are scary for how many people, and this is their marriage. Number three, he goes in on this. He says, then there's two people existing in a cold war. One house but separate lives, united only by children, assets, sex, and image control. Anybody remember the cold war between Russia and the United States? I don't because I was a child. I was watching Power Rangers while you guys were watching the cold war. But the cold war, all right, was where we honestly, we knew in our hearts who the enemy was, right? Russia. Russia knew in their hearts who the enemy was. America, there was no declaration of war, there was no physical battles, but there was very much a war going on. And after you kind of go through that coexisting stage and, and your lives begin to separate and you kind of go in different directions, well, now there's just this cold war type of relationship here. And, you, and you've kind of started to think in your mind, you've stopped asking what would life be like? 
If I left him, what would life be like if I left her? And now your mind's already on the next day. You stop concerning yourself with the marriage and the relationship, and now your only concern is the exterior parts of marriage, children, assets, sex, and image control. Does that make sense? You're kind of to that place in your life, you're kind of to that place in your marriage where you understand that if the children weren't involved, you would probably get separated. If the kids weren't there, you'd probably just go ahead and sign the divorce papers and move on. If you didn't have so much real estate together, you didn't have so much money in the bank account and you weren't so concerned about the financial hit you would take, you would probably just engage in separation and engage in divorce. Uh, you're worried about what your family would think. You're worried about what your people would think. You've got these smiles on your face. People come over for a life group, and you're cooking dinner, and you're smiling, and everything's great. And as soon as everybody else leaves, one goes to one room, and one goes to the other room, and life goes on. There's years and years and years, days and days and days of hostility, silent treatments, just this, this, this idea of like this image of marriage that we're trying to hold. We're working harder not to save our marriage, but just to appear to be happy to everybody else. It's hard for us to openly admit we haven't quite had those conversations yet, but deep inside, one or both of you want to have those conversations. You want to just go ahead and start it. You want to just kick off the long drive that is separation and divorce. You're kind of already there. That's, a, that's this type of relationship. That's this type of relationship. That's this type of marriage. It's a cold war. You have identified the enemy. You know what's up. There have not been any battles yet. There's no declaration of war. The word divorce may not have been entered, but in your heart and in your mind, you know deep inside if it wasn't for the kids, if it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for the image control, if it wasn't for some of these exterior things, that I would probably just leave him. I would probably just leave her. If it wasn't for some of these things, not the marriage itself, not the love itself, not him, not her, but if it wasn't for these other things, I would probably just walk away. Don't raise your hand, but you ever been there? Yeah, you have. A lot of you have. Statistically, cold war faith. Next thing. Two people engaged in open warfare. This relationship is controlled by fight-or-flight responses, which lead to slam doors, silent treatments, guilt trips, and emotional withdrawal. Sex becomes a weapon instead of a gift, and life is filled with self-pity, confusion, and or frustration. This is that part where, listen, you've, you've gone through the questions... All right, you understand who the enemy is. You get that, that divorce is probably in your future, and you've kind of stopped caring about the assets. you kind of stopped caring about the life that your children are going to go through, your children are going to experience, and you've kind of moved on to this. And now there's just defensiveness, and there's that fight or flight. Every conversation, it seems like, it just ends in somebody running away or this knockout, dragout fight. Everything is, is about defensiveness. Everything is frustrating. Everything is confusing. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of confusion. There's just all of this involved in our marriage. One person wants to talk about it. The other person doesn't. One person wants to fight for it. The other person's already got one foot out the door. All right, you're already starting to, to, to have a strategic exit plan for your marriage. You're already, you've already contacted a lawyer maybe at this point, and you're just there in the back of your mind. Maybe I'm going to leave. Maybe I won't, but I just want to have this just in case. All right, sex is kind of awkward. All right, because you, the love isn't really there. You're not actively loving anybody, so now it just becomes this thing, and there's threats to withhold sex or maybe even threats of, you know what, if you don't, I'll just maybe engage in sex with somebody else outside of our marriage. Make sure your kids are in the daggum kids ministry. All right, because this is real stuff that you guys go through. 
Right, that's this type of, you, you've left the Cold War, you've made a statement, you've started the battles, you've started to get a hold of lawyers, you've started to go that direction, there is no active love, there is no active servanthood, there is no mutual submission, it's just you and it's her or it's you and it's him, and now you're just trying to figure out when's the best time to say, I want out, and what that looks like. And then there's the full declaration. Two people make a declaration of war. The couple is engaged in full-scale war. And the courtroom becomes the battleground where bitterness, jealousy, rage, and emotional pain cause one or both people to engage in ego-destroying legal battles only stopped when the divorce is final and the assets and the children are divided up. This is when just rage and hurt and pain take over, and there is the enemy in your sights, and you take him or you take her for everything they've got, and you spend days, if not months, in the courtroom holding up the sins of the past, condemning them for every wrong thing they've ever done, doing everything in your power to walk away with the most money, doing everything in your power to get the children. It's a devastating, life-destroying, life-altering part. But so many of us, have engaged in this. So many of us have dealt with this. So many of us have gone through this. And some of you are right in the middle of it. And some of you have done it and you're on your way to doing it again the second time or the third time. At some point, you have to start asking yourself, what's the problem? What's the issue? All right, because my point to you this morning is if your marriage is anything but that first one, all right, there's some real problems. And you have a choice. Uh, you can just ignore it, kind of just hang out in that coexisting pattern and hope that it just stays there and maybe hope one day that things get better. Or you can just come together and you can be honest with yourself and you can be open with yourself and you can understand that you're not the only one going through it and you can begin to make some changes in your life. All right, because marriage is not something that is guaranteed. Marriage is something that Christ says should be forever. Right, and you have to work on it and work at it and go after it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, that, I mean, marriage, I'm telling you, marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Greatest gifts that God has given us. And Christ says, I want you to actively love one another as I have loved you. And I want you to actively serve one another out of respect for me. And here are some ways, just 10 quick ways that you can start to actively love one another. But I want to talk to you about something. I, I, I read this a long time ago, and it's something that makes a lot of sense to me, and I apply it in my life, so maybe it'll make sense to you. And this is this idea right here of a, an emotional bank account. All right, so this is, this is the idea of an emotional bank account. That when, you, when, when Courtney says, all right, let's just pretend we have $100 of emotional bank account. And Courtney says, Jordan, I want you to clean the garage. And Jordan says, Courtney, I will clean the garage. And then Jordan doesn't do it for three months. Jordan withdrew from that emotional bank account. Does that make sense? All right, you got $100 of emotional bank account. You don't keep a commitment. You withdraw from that. In time, eventually you'll hit zero. What happens when you're, you look at your bank account and finances start getting low, things start getting tense, right? Things start getting stressful, things you start looking around. What happens when you hit zero? Bad things. What happens when it goes in debt? Lots of bad things. 
All right, so this idea is what I want you to understand as we go through these 10 things, that these are ways that you can actively love. And when you actively love someone or you actively go after someone or you do some of the things that we're going to talk about, you're adding to that withdrawal. I mean, you're adding to that emotional bank account. And when you're not doing them or you don't do it, you're taking it away. And if both of you are actively loving each other and you're actively submitting to each other out of respect for Christ and loving each other the way that Christ says, then you're building up just a wealth of emotion and love in this bank account. Does that make sense? And then when you do make a withdrawal and you do mess up and you do screw up, there's time to to, to make it good. Does that make sense? So I just want you to understand as we go through these 10 things really fast that there is an idea that when you actively do this, it adds value and it's good. But when you actively don't do it, it takes away from the marriage and it takes away from the relationship and it takes away from from what God wants to do in your life. And as we go through this, I just want you to, in your heart, and you don't even have to tell them. If they're sitting next to you, you don't even have to tell them that you understand that this is you. Just think in your own heart and mind, that's not something I do or that is something that I do wrong. As we go through this and you think, how, how am I adding value to my marriage, adding value to this emotional bank account, or am I taking away from it? Don't think about them. Think about you. All right, number one, this is huge. Love unconditionally. Christ loves us unconditionally. It doesn't matter about my past. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I'll do. It doesn't matter if I'm a success or I'm a failure. It does not matter. Christ loves me unconditionally. And that's the way that you need to love your spouse. That's the way you need to love the person you've chose to do life with. You know, we have these, we don't think about this because I mean, I love unconditionally. No, you don't. Because a lot of us, I will love you just as passionately as I always have, as long as your percent body fat stays at a certain place. I'll love you unconditionally. I'll love you with all my heart as long as I'm still attracted to you. I'll love you just as, as long as you're successful. I'll love you just, just, as long as, just as long as the bank account is in good standing and I've got room to shop and do my, my housewife thing. As long as I, I'll love you. But the minute that starts to go down, the minute I may have to work, I, I may not love you quite as much as I did. That's not unconditional love. That's very conditioned love. I'll love you just as long as you think like me and act like me and do what I want. I'll love you just as long as we can go here and go there. I'll love you just as long. God says love unconditionally. No matter what, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what they look like, no matter if they get fired, if they fail miserably in this life, if they lose their job, if they're horrible at finances, no matter what, even in the hardest of hard times, you love them unconditionally. No matter what. If you get this in your heart and your mind and you get this that we have two flesh, we are one flesh, all right? we are one team, we are together. And if we go down together, then we go down together. If we go down financially, then we go down financially. But I'm never going to leave you and I'm always going to love you no matter what you do or what we go through. There is no conditions on the way that I love you. No matter what happens, I will love you. That's what God says. It's the way that he loves us. It's the way that we should actively love each other. Number two, be fiercely loyal. Be fiercely loyal to the one that you love. There is nobody else on this planet that should mean more to you than your spouse. Nobody. Children tied for first, but nobody. Not your mother, 
not your father, not the rest of your family, not your friends you grew up with, not your club, not your sports team. There is nobody, there is nothing that you need to remain loyal to over your spouse. Not a career, not a hobby. Let me explain something to you. When you're chasing your career and you're leaving your home screwed up at life, that's you being loyal to the career versus being loyal to your family. All right, when you spend your life chasing money and trying to fill that bank account and going after that next big thing and trying to be the man or trying to be the woman and you're leaving your home in disarray, that's you being loyal to the culture, you being loyal to your career, you being loyal to success, you being loyal to money, you being loyal to something else other than your wife, other than your husband. And what I'm telling you is this is something that's got to change in this life. Because I think a lot of us, we get in this world, we get in this life where our wives or our spouses, they don't, they mean a lot to us, but they just, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, maybe God, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Christ, and then, and then there's usually the career, the job, the dreams, the hope, the hobbies we want to chase, we want to give our time to, we want to give our resources to. And we want our wives to come along, we want our husbands to come along, but if, if they choose not to, then that's their own problem. Because I'm going to give myself to the business. I'm going to give myself to the career. This has got to change. Something I've thought a lot about because I love this church. And I want to see this church continue to grow. I want to see us get huge. I want to see us people get saved. And I want to see us change the world and change the community. And I will literally give almost every ounce of my life. But I will not trade my marriage for this church. Not one bit. I love every single person in this room. But when it comes to you and my wife, she wins. Period always, forever. You know how many ministers' marriages fall apart because they give themselves to the ministry? It's just some glorified truth of just chasing a career. This is something because I've got that A-type personality. I'm going to go and I want to succeed and I want to give and I want to go as hard as I can. I will not sacrifice my marriage on the altar of this church. Right, and you need to have that same mentality in your heart and in your life. There is nothing more important. It is God first, family second, everything else third. All right, you quit your job. You walk away. You leave the state before anything comes between you and your wife or you and your husband. Loyalty is something that this generation, loyalty is something that we have just highly misplaced in this culture, in this world. It's whatever we want. It's whatever we see. It's the passion of our hearts. It's the lust. It's the sex. It's the, we chase the money. We do all these things, and we just don't value that teammate, that alliance, that covenant that we made before God. Fiercely loyal to the one that you love. Love unconditionally. Be fiercely loyal. Number three, we're going to go through the rest of these pretty quickly. Sacrifice by placing your wants and needs under theirs. Christ gave up everything for us. And he says, I want you to love the way that I have loved you. So we must sacrifice our needs and our wants for theirs. We put them first. We serve them. We submit ourselves under them. The family comes first before everything else, everything else. And we make whatever sacrifices we need to make, all right, to keep the marriage strong and powerful. Number four, make the effort to understand them. This is something that I've experienced in my life and I've seen in others. This is something that is huge. Do you understand that Christ understands you? He understands where you come from. He knows the home you were raised in. He gets the why. 
doesn't make it okay, but he understands why you are the way you are, why you think the way you think. He understands. He knows that there's a deep-seated sin in you that he needs to eradicate in your life, but he gets that and he understands. You realize a lot of the issues that we have in this life with other people is simply because we don't understand the way that they think and we don't understand the way that they were raised and we don't understand where they come from. And we, don't, we, and we just choose to fight about it or disagree rather than why do you think the way that you think? Why do you think like that? Why do you want that? There's a conversation, you know, that needs to be had. There, people do financial stuff all the time, and one person wants to go and the other person doesn't, and you fight about it and it gets better. And why don't you just say why? Well, maybe, maybe, you know what, maybe she saw her parents make some horrible financial decisions, and it scares her, and she doesn't want to do that. And if you just knew that, if you made the time to understand her or made the time to understand him, to know where he comes from, to know why he thinks the way that he thinks, because under every single pattern, good or bad, there is a reason why. There was a way that they were raised. There was, there's things that have happened in their life that you may not know about. People literally, they live for so many years without being married, and then they carry the rest of their life into their marriage. And at some point, you have to understand that they were affected by that first 20, 25, 30 years. All right, and that there's not nothing wrong with them, but you just need to understand why they are the way they are. Make an effort to get to know them, even the things that hurt. Make an effort to understand each other and where you come from, why you think the way you think. Number four, pay attention to the little things. This is one of the biggest things. Pay attention to the little things in life. There are things that are important to her, things that are important to him that may not be important to you, and you need to understand what they are so you can do them. For whatever reason, and God only knows one of the most important little things to Courtney is that the trash is taken out on a regular basis, put into the big trash can, carried up to the top of the driveway by Wednesday at 8 o'clock in the morning. Not 8.01, 8 o'clock in the morning. This is important to her. It does not mean anything to me. Nothing. But to the best of my ability, I get up and make sure it's either out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning because it is something that is just important to her. I do not like spaghetti. I just, my mom was not a very good cook growing up. I love her with all my heart, but she was a hamburger helper master. All right, and spaghetti master. And that's what we ate on and off every day for like 15 years. Spaghetti's good. I'll eat it when I have to. If you invite me over to your house, remember this. All right, I'm not a fan of spaghetti. I never have been. It's been a long time. So I don't get excited. Mmm, spaghetti. That's never me. All right, do you want to take one guess what Courtney's favorite meal above all other meals are? <laughs> spaghetti. If it was up to her, we would have a different type of spaghetti every night until we die. All right, this is something, this is just the little things. All right, and just the other night, and this is not to pat myself on the back, although I am pretty proud of myself. The other night, all right, she was going through kind of a hard week, a hard day. We'd been separated for a couple of days because of, uh, I had to go to a thing, and she went to a thing, and, and we came back together, and I made her favorite meal, spaghetti and garlic bread, and we sat there at the little table, and I wrote her a nice little card, and she cried like a little baby. You know why? Why? Because she's a baby sometimes. But you know why? Because... <laughs> Because it, it was something that was so little and so mean, but it meant a lot to her. See, this is the thing. This is what we try to do sometimes. We forget the little things, and we try to make it up by doing one big thing, but nobody really cares about the big thing nearly as much as they care about the little things. You think about it using the emotional bank withdrawal. 
it's not the big purchases that get you. When you're about to buy a car, you're pretty aware you're about to buy a car, right? What gets you financially at the end of the month? You look back, where did $500 go? Oh, $4.25 to Starbucks, $1.25 here, $30 here, $10 here. It's all the little things that add up over time. You don't get through at the end of the year, and, you know, and you've spent 50 grand. You don't know how or where. I would love to be able to get to a place where I could spend 50 grand. But you didn't get to a place, spend 50 grand. You look back, you know you spent, you bought a car for 10, or you did this for five. You went on vacation for four, but what happened to the other 25? You have no idea where it went. It's because you're just sliding your cart. Little purchase here, little purchase here, little purchase here, little purchase here. It's the same thing in the emotional bank account. All right, it's just the little, little things here. You, you forgot our little anniversary here. You just, you didn't, you didn't, you, you know my favorite thing is this, and you didn't do it. And, and, and most of the time, because they're good people, they don't say a lot about it, but it's just those little things in their heart. I, I really hope he does this, or I really hope she does this, and, and they, 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 they don't. These are the little things, man. And we try to make up for, I'm the king of trying to make up for the little things with the big thing. I, I, I literally, and it's, the, and it's the dumbest mentality on the planet. This is huge for some of you. You need to pay attention to the little things. Know what she wants and know what he wants. Don't forget Valentine's Day. Don't forget her birthday. Don't be stupid. I mean, talking to the men. All right? Pay attention to the little things. Make love active and a verb. Maybe you'll make love more. Next thing. Keep commitments. Nobody heard me say that. Keep commitments. All right, this is a big thing. Courtney, when I say, you know what, I'm going to take the trash out or I'm going to clean the garage up, don't wait three months. Idiot. Don't wait three months. All right, when you say, I'm going to be there, when you say, I'm going to do this, you do it. Because this is the one thing, broken promises are the one thing that ruin long-term relationships more than any other things statistically keep commitments keep going clarify direction expectations this is a huge thing all right listen there are little directions and expectations that people have in marriage when you come together there is a way that you want your life to go all right and there is a way that he or she wants her life or his life to go these are conversations that you need to have with each other on a regular basis, your expectations. Just to give you a very short, meaningful example, if she expects marriage and her husband to be there for her most nights of the week to have dinner with her, but then he chooses a career or he chooses a job or he goes playing golf or he goes and does this where he's not, that is a little expectation that will cause huge problems down the road. Does that make sense? Get together, have conversations, clarify the direction you're going in life. Clarify if Christ's still the foundation of this relationship. What do we want to do financially? What do we want to do with our careers? What do we want to do in God? What do we want to do with our calling? What do we want to do? Where are we going? Have these conversations because if you don't have these conversations, I can promise you that both of you will go somewhere. You just may not get there together. All right, you need to know what's in her heart and what's in his heart and the direction you're going and what you expect out of life and what you expect out of marriage. Do that. Strive for integrity. Now, this is, listen, when I say strive for integrity, people say strive for honesty. Listen, honesty and integrity are not always the same thing. Honesty all right, is, is conforming your words to reality. It's telling the truth. Reality, this is a microphone stand. And I say with my mouth, this is a microphone stand. That's honesty. All right? Integrity is conforming your reality to the words that you say out of your mouth. So when you tell her, I'll make more time for you, you actually make more time for you. 
I'll get better at handling the finances, and you actually get better at handling the finances. I'll be there for you when you need me, and you make sure you are there when he or she needs you. I'll show up. I'll be there. I'll do that. If that's important to you, that's important to me. See, there's a lot of people, and I'm one of them. I, I want to just, I'll, I, I, to get out of conflict, I'll just say sometimes whatever you want me to say. Okay, fine, sure. Yep, I'll do that. I'll jump on that. Yeah, I really do care about all the puppies in Ireland. That's something that actually is important to me. I'll, no, I don't care anything about a lot of things. Right, I'm a very focused person. This gets me in a lot of trouble right, because I want want to say things and I want to do things and I'm fully intentional. I want to help you and I want to be there. But there comes a time when you just have to stand up and learn how to say no to what's not important to protect what is important. Because what I have seen over the last two or three years, especially before Joseph got here and was able to take off some things off my plate and this church was growing, I promise you, I was all about this church and all in this church. And there were several times, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, there were several times when Courtney came to me and said, you know what? And I said, babe, I'm sorry. I just forgot about that. Or sorry, you know, I just didn't do that. And she said, you wouldn't forget if that was for the church. You wouldn't forget if one of the leaders asked you to say that or asked you to do that. 